Whether it's Robinson Crusoe, Castaway, or the hit TV series Survivor, the idea of being isolated on a deserted island captures our imagination. Most stories about survivor types focus on the young and the fit. But the Bible closes with a man in his 90s who finds himself exiled to a deserted prison island. What did he do? How did he react? This is Truth Encounter, a program committed to helping you get close up and personal with a biblical Jesus. Our study today takes us to Revelation chapter 1, where we find the Lord's beloved disciple imprisoned in isolation on an island in the Mediterranean. But he learned how not to be alone. Here's our study leader, Dave Wardson, for our study titled, Not Just Your Usual Sunday. Let's suppose suddenly you were taken away from Midlothian, Somebody hauled you out and they put you on an island in the Gulf of Mexico, an old rocky island. It was only about uh, 30 miles in circumference. It was about 10 miles wide at its widest place, about 5 miles wide at its narrow place. And there's nothing on it but rock and a few other uh, inmates. And you're there in the island. What do you think you would do on a Sunday in a day like that? You know, what would you be tempted to do in a day like that? In other words, some of you that are younger, some of you little kids, you know, your mom and dad woke you up and you're here because mom and dad make you come to church. Well, here was a guy that was isolated on an island. He's out there all by himself. He was put there because of his commitment to Jesus. What is he going to do on the Lord's day? And what we find is that the great apostle John, even in his 90s, was probably up in his 90s, so he was older than anyone that's here today. Even in his 90s, the apostle John was being an example to us. And I praise God that on the Lord's Day, on Sunday, that the apostle John, even though he was in exile, even though he was away from any other believers, really, the apostle John carved time out to get in the spirit to get close to God, to be able to express his adoration and praise to God. And as John was expressing his adoration and praise to God, the Lord did an incredible thing. He revealed the vision of the ultimate destiny of planet Earth. He revealed what was going to happen at the end of time. This incredible book that we're beginning to study was revealed to John. So let's open up to Revelation chapter 1. Because what we find out is Revelation chapter 1, the section we want to look at today, spells out to us what this dear old 90-year-old apostle was doing, why he ended up there. And then he also had an incredible vision, a vision of the exalted Christ that we want to be able to enter into today. We want to pray that the Lord will give us new eyes to see. I believe that Jesus is right here this morning. And in my own physical being, in my own just physical life, it's easy for me to miss him. Even as your pastor, it's easy for me to not realize that Jesus is here. It's also easy for me to have a lot of false viewpoints about him and what he's like and and what kind of power he has and whether or not he can meet our needs. And that's why this section of Revelation, beginning with verse 9, is so strategic because it reminds us that as we think about Jesus, we need to know who he is, we need to remember his identity, and this portion of Revelation gives us some incredible revelation of the exalted, glorified, ascended Christ, and yet what he's doing today, presently moving through the church. Look at verse 9. I, John, this is John, 
the brother of James. And this is John that was one of the innermost circle of disciples. This is John that was really Jesus' closest friend on planet Earth. So if you really want to get to know Jesus, this is really an authoritative kind of a person to listen to. This is also John that uh, when the Jerusalem was getting ready to be destroyed, he fled the city, listened to what his Lord had told him many years before about the destruction of Jerusalem. He fled up into Asia, which is modern-day Turkey, went to the city of Ephesus, and he became like an overseer, an, an older, godly elder for all the churches, churches like Colossae, that we just studied the book of Colossians. John, I'm sure, was one of the ministers that would go to the church of Colossae and minister. And for many, many years, he ministered in that part of eastern, what would be modern-day Turkey. John, this great apostle, though, doesn't call himself an apostle. I want you to see this. One of the things that starts to happen in churchianity is we start to put a lot of stress upon titles. We start to put a lot of stress upon separation, like the reverend and the minister. Here was a man that truly had the right to be an authority in the church. This was a man that saw Jesus Christ transfigured. This is a man that actually saw the empty tomb. This was a man who was designated by the Lord God of heaven as an apostle, as one of the foundational eyewitnesses of all that Jesus said and did. And yet I want you to look at what John calls himself as he writes back to the churches that he was so privileged to pastor for so many years. Look what he calls himself. He says, first of all, I'm your brother. I'm your brother. I want us to never get over the fact that we are family, that we are the family of God. The great apostle John called himself a brother to the people that he was ministering among. Some of you might have been raised in church tradition, you know, where the church leadership, like the minister or the, the ministers, if you were in a larger church like ours, you felt that they were in a different class. They felt that, that they were separated from you. In fact, some people even build their ministry on that kind of separation, you know, the clergyman and the lady. And I want you to see that in the New Testament, there was none of that. I'm your brother. I'm just as close to you as one of your family members. The Apostle John also called himself a fellow companion. He uses a word that means, I'm partaking in this with you. And the thing that he does is he partakes in three things. The first thing is something that we really don't want to partake of, and that is, John says, I am a fellow participant with you in suffering. He uses the word tribulation. That's why John is on the island of Patmos. That's why he was sent away. It's because of the tribulation. The Roman emperor Domitian, as he moved towards the latter part of his reign, was a very insecure guy. And he decided that in order to, to hold his power, in order to get everyone to listen to him and to obey him, that he was going to declare himself as God. And so Domitian set up a decree across the Roman Empire that in all the cities of the Roman Empire, people would have to gather together and bow before him, an idol of Domitian, as the king of kings, as God, as lord of lords. And so all over the Roman Empire, most of the pagans couldn't care less about it. But can you imagine if suddenly we got word that our government had said that we all need to gather together and at a given moment, we're all going to have to prostrate ourselves and declare that we give the allegiance to the President of the United States as our God. We're going to worship him as a God. How would you react to that? Well, I know how many of you would react to that. You're not going to do that in a million years. Because you only batter the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You only worship and serve Jesus, who is truly God. 
Well, you can imagine how believers in the first century responded to that. And that's what John is talking about in this book. He could foresee that because believers were good citizens in almost every area of life. They were good business people. They were honest. You could depend upon them. But when it came to a believer's heart, by the way, our country was founded on this principle that no one has the right to command the human heart. That no one has the right to command you to bow down and worship them. And you have your own conscience and you can choose that you're going to worship the way that you decide. And that opens the door for us to declare the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, you can just see right away that early believers, just like you, were going to bow their neck against that command, and therefore tribulation came. As Americans, as we study the book of Revelation, it's hard for us to understand the idea so much of a government that's against us. Although that day might come, we have the little murmurings of maybe the government taking its stand against believers. But for the most part in the United States, the freedom of speech is still very strong, and we can praise God for that. But do you realize that in many areas of the world, for example, if I was speaking to you in an Iraqi congregation of believers, we would not be able to meet in Iraq in this open forum. We would have to meet secretly. We would have to meet probably in someone's home and break the group down. And then we would also be very fearful that some of the Islamic fundamentalists, if they found out about it, then our very lives would be threatened. And that's what believers right now today are facing in a country like Iraq. Or in China, we think about China really opening up with uh, capitalism and, and a lots of business that's being invested there. We often don't hear about the other side, though, where the government continues to repress the 50 million believers like yourself. And there's a powerful house church movement that the government's never been able to control and it never will be able to control the church of Jesus Christ. And in China, there are millions upon millions of believers just like yourself. But their pastors, when they get up and open this Bible like I'm doing today and teaching you, which we just take for granted. I mean, we've, we, well, of course we can do that. In China, if you do that, very possibly I would be taken to jail and you wouldn't hear hiding or tail from me for many months, even years. When my dad was traveling in China, he met with a dear old pastor that had spent about 80% of his entire ministry, he had spent it in jail. 80% of his entire ministry was spent in jail. And so you can imagine that if we were speaking in a persecuted country, that when John the Apostle says, I'm a fellow sufferer with you, I'm in this with you, you can imagine the comfort that that would bring. But, you know, I believe that as we gather together here, that underneath, that there is suffering. The American church might not be facing political persecution. But some of you face the rejection from your friends because you believe in Jesus. Some of you have had raises and, and promotions that didn't come through. They went to someone else who would play the corporate game. And because you're committed to Jesus, you didn't get that position. And you've suffered for that. Some of you have, have faced, even within your own family, there's a division in your family because you're one of the only ones that's received Christ as your Savior and the rest of your family hasn't joined you in that faith commitment. And so you suffer, and you suffer the, the breakdown of not feeling that close family unity. Maybe your suffering is physical because in the world today, the scripture says that, that our bodies are not yet made like his glorious body. And so as we live our life, some of us go through physical suffering. 
And oh, how we need to realize that John is coming to us and says, I'm a fellow sufferer with you. He doesn't divorce himself from that physical suffering. doesn't divorce himself from those hard times. I'm so thankful for that. Sometimes our really powerful people, when we really get close to them, we find out that they don't empathize with us. They haven't walked in the shoes that we walk in. They're just not in the same place with us. And that's how I love studying the Word of God, because I find out that here's a great apostle, John. But John has been where I am. John doesn't just stand on the outside, separated from me. He really feels for me. And and John himself, here he is in his 90s, at a time in his life when he should have been able to sit back and put his feet up and, and drink a nice glass of tea. Here he is, suffering in this island, isolated outpost. And yet he's not discouraged because he says we have a kingdom. Notice that the, the second thing he says that we're not only, a, not only fellowshipping and suffering, but we're also fellowshipping in a kingdom. One of the things we all need to remember as we go through hard times is that our Savior is still ruling. In fact, earlier it says in, in verse 6, it says that you've been made a kingdom of priests. It's very important when you're going through a time of suffering, Satan tempts us to feel like, man, everything is out of control. This isn't going to fly. Don't you feel that way? Don't you feel tempted when it it seems like your life has fallen apart? You feel like saying, man, where is God in this? You know, God must have taken a vacation. God must be gone somewhere. And that's why all the way through the book of Revelation, it's going to bring out the fact that it doesn't look like God is in control. It doesn't look like God knows what the mission's doing. It doesn't look like God was aware of, of what was happening to John the Apostle. It looked like God had forgotten him. But John the Apostle is revealing to us that God hadn't forgotten these precious believers at all. The Roman Empire wouldn't have given those young believers that were being persecuted by Nemission, they wouldn't even mention them in their headlines. They wouldn't give them the time of day. They thought they were totally unimportant people. And yet it was that fledgling little group of Jesus followers that generated us. Most of you never even heard of Domitian. If I were to ask you to give you an exam and tell you about his career, most of you don't even know who he is. You wouldn't know where he was in the Roman series of emperors. You never even heard of him. And yet in his day, he thought he was God. In his day, he thought he could control people. In his day, he thought he was holding John down. But look at reality. History's gone by. You tell me who was really in control. Amen? John, the apostle, was part of the right kingdom. He made the right choice. And oh, I want to pray that the Spirit of God is going to move us to have that kind of vision of where the real authority lies, where the real kingdom lies. And it's that commitment to God's authority. It's that commitment to God's kingdom that gives us the third thing. It gives us endurance. You see, if you're going to make it in this walk of discipleship, we're going to have to go through suffering. In fact, the Apostle Paul said that all who will live godly in Christ Jesus are going to go through hard times. So if somebody tells you, man, you come to Jesus, you're not going to have any hard times, I got news for you, they're lying, right? They're wrong. If somebody tells you, man, I follow Jesus and I have nothing but really good times, and you need to follow Jesus too because you're going to have nothing but good times, I got news for you, just look at church history. The history of the church is nothing but a history of tremendous conflict, believers facing incredible suffering, incredible pressure. But by the grace of God, Christ is the king. And because he is the king, they can endure. You're going to make it through your suffering. 
Not even death can separate you from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus. And that's what gives us endurance. You see, if you know when you're going through a hard time that when you get done with it, you're going to be stronger, that you're going to accomplish the objective that's going to be worth something, you know you're going to be rewarded at the end, then you can hang on. And that's what John the Apostle had. Here he is in his 90s. He's on the island of Patmos. I would have been expecting, man, we need to give this guy Demerol. We need to give him some Valium. We need to give this guy some antidepressant. Man, this guy's really in bad trouble. He's in his 90s, and look at this terrible thing that's happened to him. Instead, in his 90s, he wrote the most powerful work of his life. In his 90s, God came upon him in a powerful, spirit-controlled way to give us the culmination of God's revelation. And oh, I want that to be an encouragement to some of you. I want you to endure. One of the things that's really easy to do with an older person is to begin to feel in your heart, where do I fit in? What do I have to do with this anymore? Don't listen to that voice. Those young people desperately need every gray hair, and they want it. They want you. They need your wisdom. They need your counsel. They need your intimacy with God. They need you to keep growing in godliness because they need someone to talk to about all the different choices in life and all the ups and downs in life. They need someone that can talk to them about how you face death and how you face life. They need someone that has all those years of experience of intimacy with God. And I want those of you that are older to be really motivated by John the Apostle. Because the guy that we're studying in this entire book of Revelation wrote this book, did one of God's greatest works in his life after he was older than every one of you. I'm saying this very strongly because the American society has a cult of the young. And it's infiltrating our church. We have the cult of the young. And the idea is that the only people, some of you have been in business, and you rose up in your business, and you had creative ideas, and you were powerfully used during your late 20s and your 30s. But you found as you moved into your 40s that suddenly the, the whole corporate culture was moving away from you, and they just dropped you. The whole middle management was just knocked right out of your company. Why do they do that? Because that's the way that our culture thinks. America is a youth culture. And they feel that things are moving so fast and things are happening so fast that, that the older ones can't keep up with it. And what that can do is just it can take the confidence right out of the older generation. Well, I thank God for believing older, mature saints that don't give in to that. And I want to really encourage you today. I want every one of you older saints to know that you need to be the Apostle John for the younger people, for children. You need to be that older saint that's still enduring, still in touch with Jesus, still growing in him. You see, the word endurance just by nature means that you've gone through it. You're older. You're mature. You've got a lot of experience. And this great apostle needs to be you older saints and myself included. We need to grab a hold of him and run with him right into our 90s. For the glory of God, realizing man past 90 might be the very time that God comes upon me in an incredibly special, powerful way. And I might touch a life that becomes the, the, the major life that God wanted me to, to touch in my lifetime. So there's no saints that can retire. No saints that can take time out. No saints that can drop off. If the Apostle John can do it in his 90s, you can do it in your 80s, in your 70s, in your 60s, in your 50s, in your 40s. Keep hanging in there. So he was a fellow participant in 
testing, tribulation. He believed in the kingdom, and that's what gave him patient endurance. He says those things are all ours in Jesus Christ. The only place we can have that kingdom, the only way we can have endurance and suffering is in Jesus, in intimacy with Jesus. That little phrase, in our Lord Jesus, is just like the Apostle Paul. It was his favorite way of referring to the Christian life, being in Jesus, being intimately related to him, being in love with him, being close to him. He says that he was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and on the testimony of Jesus. See that? He wasn't exiled to Patmos because he broke the law. He wasn't exiled because he stole something. He wasn't on the island of Patmos because he cheated in his income tax. He wasn't on the island of Patmos because he didn't pay attention to Roman law on the chariot races and he drove his chariot wrong. Notice that he was in the island of Patmos because of the, of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. One of the things that we as believers need to be really careful about is not to suffer because we've broken the law or because we haven't been obedient to the authorities that be the way Romans 13 teaches us we need to be. You see, sometimes believers suffer, like 1 Peter talks about this, sometimes believers suffer because they do the wrong thing, because they're really not faithful at work or because they're not on time or because they don't really get the job done. And I've often taught you That the Bible doesn't comfort you when you do that. You need to be a good citizen. And I need to be a good citizen. We need to be good workers. But we also need to realize that as we teach the word of God, and then John narrows it down and says the word of God, the essence of the word of God is the witness, the testimony, the eyewitness account about Christ dying on the cross and Christ rising again from the dead, and people being able to receive him into their life, and having their sins washed whiter than snow, John the Apostle says that he was in prison because he declared the gospel. That needs to be our focus, the word of God. I want every child to realize, when someone says to them as an adult, what did you do when you went to church? I want every one of our little kids to be able to say, man, if you came to our church without a Bible... Without the word of God, you were lost. You didn't have the foggiest idea what was going on. Because every time we came together, we opened up the word of God. And everything that we learned was based upon the word of God. And that word of God focused on the witness about Jesus. We learned that in Genesis, it was focusing on the coming of Jesus. That all that was happening, the promises to Abraham the promises to Joseph, the promise to Judah, everything was culminating in Jesus. When we learned about King David, we learned that King David was ultimately going to have a son who would be the ultimate son of David. And man, we focused on Jesus. When we studied wisdom in the book of Proverbs, we realized Jesus was the ultimate wisdom and we went straight to Jesus. In other words, the essence of the word of God was the witness about Jesus. If I get thrown in jail, I want to get thrown in jail because I proclaim the truth about Jesus. Amen? And if you get in trouble, if you get in trouble in our society, I don't want you to get in trouble because you broke the law, a legitimate law, but I want you to get in trouble because you're testifying about Jesus. And that's the greatest name to witness about. As I was driving back, went to Florida and taught the book of Proverbs to about 70 college students last week. And Jimmy took me to the airport. 
We drove up at the toll booth, and Jimmy rolled down the window, paid his thing, and after he paid his thing, he said, do you mind if I give you some great news about Jesus? Three years ago, I didn't know anything about him, and somebody told me about Jesus, and I'm just so excited about it, I want to give you this good news about Jesus. That's why we gave a track away. You say, Dave, why was Jimmy so excited? Because three years ago, Jimmy was working construction. He was taking cocaine, smoking marijuana, sleeping with an Argentinian girl. The knockout girl left him and went out with his 38-year-old friend who was about 10 years older than him and devastated his heart. And just before his life bottomed out, another one of his construction buddies had been immoral on his wife. His wife found out about it, packed all of her things, and when he went home from construction, the whole house was empty and she was gone and his whole life caved in. And this friend of his had heard about the gospel. He asked another friend that knew Jesus to come and tell him the gospel. And this friend, Jimmy, that was taking me to the airport, this construction kid, smoking pot and really messing around and being immoral, just living for Satan. Jimmy happened to be in the office when the believer came and shared the gospel. Jimmy said, I couldn't have cared less. I wasn't into the gospel thing. I didn't care less. I heard the guy go through. Christ died for our sins. Christ rose again. Jesus Christ can come into your life. He can forgive you. My friend, whose wife had just left him, he was really into it. But man, I couldn't care less. But it was right after that, a few weeks after that, that Jimmy's girlfriend wiped out, went away from him, and left him at rock bottom. He went down to Phoenix, Arizona. And while he was in Phoenix, Arizona, he thought about taking his life. And then he remembered that good news. He remembered that message, Christ died for me, Christ rose again. He said, man, I'm not accomplishing anything down here in Phoenix. He went up to, back to Wisconsin, went rummaging around his attic. He said, man, somewhere in my attic, I've got a Bible. He rummaged around, found his Bible way off in the corner, took out the word of God. He said, Dave, I didn't know where to read, but I just started reading the Gospel of John. And before he got done with the Gospel of John, Jesus made it clear to him that he died on the cross for his sins, and he rose again. Jimmy said that was about a year and a half ago, and he's now studying at the World of Life Bible Institute. And this kid, I mean, he, he, he was at a whole way to the airport. All he did was just bust out with praise, saying, man, I just can't believe what you taught us in the book of Proverbs, and I've got to ask you this, I've got to ask you this. I mean, I'm just so hungry, and I think the Lord's calling me to be a pastor, and I really just have a, such a hunger to teach God's word and to tell people about Jesus. Can Jesus do that? Yeah. The power of Jesus, the witness of Jesus. Never get over the witness of Jesus. And that's what John got thrown in prison for. If you're going to get thrown in prison for something, get thrown in prison for a really good thing. The witness of Jesus. One of the things that Revelation should do is get us really excited about the witness of Jesus. Don't ever get over the power of what the witness of Jesus can do. John is in his 90s, and he got thrown in exile because of the witness of Jesus. Isn't that great? Here's his old codger. Most people like that in their 90s would be in some rest home somewhere. Instead, the Roman emperor, Domitian, has to take this old 90-year-old guy because he's so dangerous to the empire because he's telling people about Jesus and has to exile him in this island where he can't talk to anybody. Well, that took care of it. Man, you take an old apostle... 
put them on an island where there's hardly anybody there. Man, that'll take care of it. Isn't it great? God says, ha-ha, the mission. I'm going to inspire my prophet on this island where you think he's so by himself. He's going to write the culmination of my inspired revelation, and it's going to be used for hundreds of years to witness about Jesus. Isn't that neat? Here's the mission. Think he's going he's to shut this old guy up. And all that happens, look what it says. He said he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Verse 10, on the Lord's Day, I was in the Spirit. What happened to him as he was worshiping the Lord, this little phrase, in the Spirit, is just like Ezekiel the prophet was in the Spirit. It was a very powerful time when the Holy Spirit comes upon a man. He nullifies the physical sensations. This happened to, like, Ezekiel the prophet in the great manifestation of the glory of God in Ezekiel chapter 1. It happened to the apostle Peter in Joppa when the Lord gave him the vision as he prepared for reaching Cornelius' house. It says that Peter went into this trance. He was in the spirit. And what the Lord does, it becomes a very special time in life for a prophet when the Lord opens up the doorways into eternity, into the spiritual world. You see, as we sit here today, we're living in the material world, the physical world. And that's a good world. The Lord meant for us to live in that right now. And when we die, just like that, we're going to be into the spiritual world. When I first started ministering, there was a great denial of the supernatural world. The scientific method and materialism was very much at the fore. And there was a strong antagonism in many quarters of our nation against that supernatural world. That's all radically changed now. Now there's a great openness to the supernatural world, to the spiritual world, to this kind of an experience, to, you know, kind of a trance-like experience. But you need to be careful. Because Jesus said that he is the doorway to the spiritual world. It's only the witness of Jesus that will bring you into the spiritual world safely. He's the only one that can take you ultimately to be with him. And the Apostle John is is a great apostle who in this text is a man who has come totally under the spirit of God's control. And he has a window into communicating to us about spiritual realities. And that's why what he wrote is inspired in the word of God. Now, our young people, as you go out into college, you can, you're going to be exposed to some other people that, that have mystical experiences. And some of you adults will meet people, and some of the children will meet people that claim to have all kinds of weirdo, supernatural contacts. Be very careful of that. Be sure that you evaluate anyone that's teaching you based upon this Genesis to Revelation word of God. Be sure that you evaluate whether or not they're teaching you about the total divinity of Jesus and the total humanity of Jesus and the death of Christ for you on the cross and the empty tomb and the power of that and how Jesus is the exclusive name that can bring you into that supernatural spiritual world and get you to arrive at the right place. I believe with all my heart that John the Apostle was totally taken over by the Holy Spirit. And the Lord peeled back the physical realm and let him have incredible insight into that supernatural realm. And the Holy Spirit, as we study this book, is going to peel back in your own minds and enable you to understand what John revealed. If you've accepted Christ into your heart, if you become a believer, then the Holy Spirit lives within you. 
And so that as we read through the book of Revelation and as we study it together carefully, the Holy Spirit will turn the lights on in your mind and you will understand truth and you will respond to that truth. I want us as brothers and sisters to get very sensitive to that in the spirit relationship. You see, it's very important for us to realize that John as a prophet was in the spirit. And so he opened himself to the supernatural realm. In his case, the Spirit of God completely came upon him and caused him to have God-given messages that we need to receive. When we think about understanding those ideas and responding to those ideas and listening to those ideas and obeying those ideas, we must be in the Spirit as well. You need to pray for me. As we're studying through the book of Revelation, you know, just because I know Greek and Hebrew... And just because I can read this book in Greek doesn't mean that I'm going to understand it. It doesn't mean because I can figure out what every word means that I'm going to know how to apply it to your hearts and and know how to apply it to my heart. Only being in the Spirit can do that. And I want to encourage you to start reading through the book of Revelation and pray in the Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to teach you. Ask the Holy Spirit to turn the lights on in your mind. Write down the questions you don't understand and ask the Holy Spirit to help you to find the answers to the questions that he wants you to find the answers to. Ask him to help you as you read the book to know how it applies in your just everyday life. Learn to praise him from what you read. Learn to respond to him. This is a very personal thing that John's talking about. He was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. The idea of the Lord's Day right here is that in the first century... They began to do what we're doing this morning. You say, Dave, why do we meet on the first day of the week? Because we're following a precedent. One of the things that we do in our church families, we study the New Testament and we read what the early church did. And then we try to respond to that. In Acts chapter 20, we read that the early church met the great apostle Paul and allowed him to teach them on the first day of the week. In 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul counsels the Corinthian believers about their offerings, about the giving they're going to do to the Lord. He says, let every one of you lay up your offering that's going to bring praise to God. Do it on the first day of the week. And so what we have in the New Testament is, is a developing practice where the early church was beginning to recognize Resurrection Day, Sunday, the day that Jesus rose again from the dead, the first day of the week, as their day to honor the Lord. Domitian declared Emperor Day. I just love this. Domitian claimed Emperor Day. And on Emperor Day, everybody had to worship the emperor. So the believers responded. In fact, it's very similar terminology. Domitian called his day the Lord's Day, because Lord means the master, the king, the one that's in charge. The early believers responded in Domitian We have our Lord's Day. Amen? Isn't that neat? They said, we have our Lord's Day. And our Lord is the one that we're going to learn as we go on in this passage, in this vision of Jesus. We're going to find that the reason we bow before our Lord, the reason we have a special day where we honor him, the reason we're going to carve out time in our family life when we're going to gather together to pray, We're going to gather together to worship and to adore this great king. We're going to gather together to to listen to his voice and his word. We're going to gather together with other people to have fellowship together. We're going to have the Lord's Day when we really declare that Jesus is king. 
And Jesus is the sovereign over the universe. And the early believers started doing that together. They started meeting together in homes. Eventually, about in the third century, they started building. It took them that long before they were accepted enough where they could build open buildings. But for 300 years, they didn't even have a building. But they had the Lord's Day. They had that special day where in their family life as believers, they were doing exactly what you're doing because Jesus is in your life. The King is in your life. And you love getting together with other people where Jesus is in their life. You love hearing about him. And you love learning about him. And you understand that he's this incredibly powerful one that can transform lives. As we start to do that, as we start to do that, what we're going to find out is that Jesus starts revealing himself to us in an incredible way. What the dear Lord Jesus did for the Apostle John is Jesus peeled back his blinded eyes, peeled back those old eyes, and caused them to see that Jesus really wasn't so far away. Father, I thank you so much for this commissioning of the prophet John. I pray that we would be united together this morning on one thing, the word of God centered in the testimony about Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that this dear old saint in his 90s would have been used by your spirit through his revelation to impart truth, to impart life, to impart endurance to our life. Oh, dear Lord, some of my brothers and sisters really need the spirit of endurance. They need your spirit to give them their second wind. They need you to renew them. Some of them are wrestling with some things that they don't have the answer to. They just can't figure it out. And they need endurance to keep running strong for you. I thank you that your spirit can breathe life into them. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.